0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. During this episode, I had the honor to interview Michael Valdez. Michael is a certified financial planner and an LPL branch manager at Synergy Wealth Alliance in Greater Tampa Bay area. During our engaging conversation, we discussed a wide range of topics, Anything from Argentine tango dancing to managing and building a solid financial foundation. You don't want to miss this episode. Please enjoy the show. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I have a very special guest for you, my good friend, Michael Valdez. Um, I will tell you a little bit more about Michael. Michael is a certified financial planner and an investor advisor representative at Synergy Wealth Alliance. Michael is the founder and branch manager of Tampa office. Michael has been serving his clients since 1983, and that's way before I was born, so (laughs) very long time. (laughs) To say the least, Michael is extremely experienced and knowledgeable in this field. In addition, in 2008, Michael Valdez and Dan Maloney co founded a not for profit organization called Business Transition Council of Tampa Bay, which is growing and thriving today. BTC was founded as a learning organization focused on serving business advisory community as well as business owners. Michael is a president and a board member of BTC, and he is also a board member of several other organizations throughout the Tampa Bay area. His recent venture is the Center for Caregiver Support, and I'm sure he can tell us more as we get into our conversation. And um, he is just an all-around amazing professional and friend and a connector, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. So, Michael, welcome to the show.
1: Well, Natalia, thank you. I'm glad to uh, be your guest today and I look forward to our conversation and uh, 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 answering uh, questions you may have and uh, helping everyone learn a little bit more about me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, I always like to start somewhere in the very beginning, kind of to learn more what prompted you on a path that you embarked on and uh, uh, made you serve the clients and provide financial services and support. So was there any specific events or experiences from your past that ignited that uh, passion for learning and to provide financial services?
1: Well, the, the one thing that uh, some people know, but not everyone knows, is that in my first life, I was an elementary school special ed teacher. And that means that I had uh, uh, those those uh, children who uh, 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 would would be going against the grain, and uh, I'd start working with them in kindergarten all the way through sixth grade. And um, uh, I have always been innately curious about people. and so uh, being being a teacher has been one of my one of my goals. Uh, when I turned thirty, I ended up moving back to Tampa. I had been living overseas and living in other states and came back and wanted to use my teaching skills in a new way. And at that time, uh, back in uh, 1983, I heard of a new uh, field that was emerging uh, called Certified Financial Planners. And so I kind of pursued that path and uh, used that as a vehicle really to take my teaching uh, uh, passion and share it with others. And that's literally what I do today. My role is really working with and teaching others uh, 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 about the roadmaps to, uh, to financial success.
0: Amazing. I did not know you were an elementary school teacher. That's (laughs) wonderful, Um, which is not too far you
1: You can probably imagine me with the kids climbing on top of my head, and the answer is yes, I used to sit on the floor, and yes, that's exactly what they would be doing, so.
0: Exactly. Well, I think those skills are immensely important when you try to explain complex, sometimes financial subjects, to adults to boil it down to this simple language that everyone can understand. So I think that's fantastic. So what is um, an interesting fact about you besides being an elementary school teacher that uh, no one can find or see on LinkedIn or social media? I know you are more or less private person because I trying to find information about you and there's just not a lot out there, but I know you lead a very interesting life. So <laughs> anything you're willing to share?
1: Well, I, I I have some things that people may or may not know. Um, uh, what, one of my passions is, uh, is, is dachshunds. And uh, I, I recently uh, lost one of my dachshunds who was 17. And so if you see a picture of me, maybe on Facebook, you'll see... Uh, him and and my other current dachshund, who's 15, uh, Chloe. But one of the things people don't know is that uh, for Christmas one year, my my wife got me a really great gift, and that was a return stickers for envelopes that you put on that said Michael C. Valdez, Dachshund Rancher. So uh, that's kind of a kind of an inside joke because everyone knows that if uh, if if she allowed me. Two, I'd probably have uh, eight or ten dachshunds running around, and you can imagine if you've seen those videos with people who have a bunch of them, that would be me, but uh, my, my wife has put her foot down, and, and uh, unlike potato chips where you want more than one, I was allowed to, allowed to have two. So that may be an interesting fact that, that people don't know about me.
0: Well, that's interesting. Well, that's better than tattoos. Rather have more dogs. <laughs> Um, another thing that I want to share with the listeners about you—you you are a pretty good tango dancer.
1: Well, thank you. That's a great compliment. I'm—I'm I'm a, 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 a tango uh, student. I—I uh, I, I love it. I love uh, the thing I love most about Argentine tango is it's social dance. Uh, it is something that allows you to connect with others, and uh, it is a, a very useful skill in my business. In that, in tango, it—it it requires you to be present at all times. In other words, there's no daydreaming. And the other thing about Argentine tango is that it's uh, improvised. So uh, if if you and I were to dance to the same tango song 10 times, we would use similar steps, but we would do them in a different order, because it's all about the connection of the two people. And that skill uh, has really helped me in, in working with clients. And more importantly, it's a skill that requires listening, but the person's not talking to you, you're listening to them and trying to feel how your partner moves. So it's a great way to learn those other social skills of interacting uh, with, with people. The other thing I like about it is it requires my brain to work in very different ways. And while I'm a okay, a tango dancer, uh, I'm not uh, the best dancer there, and i'm I will be learning the rest of my life on how to do it better, but it requires your brain to really be functioning in ways that I don't get to use in my business. so as i as I'm dancing, I can feel my brain kind of uh, sparking off in different areas
0: that's <clears throat> that's wonderful, and I completely agree as a former ballroom dancer myself, I can definitely relate into different aspects of the dance world, how they translate into professional and even personal life. Uh, Simple concept like leading and following. Uh, Two people cannot be leading because you will not move from one spot. So (laughs) somebody has to be a guide, whether it's in a financial setting or in a family setting, and somebody will have to respond. Um, And then perhaps those roles exchange, but there's always that dynamic. Yes, thanks. So absolutely. All right, so my next next question is for you. How do you define financial success, and what does financial success means to you?
1: Well, financial success is a relative term. And I say that because at different times in my life, it meant different things. So, I came up with a word as a teacher, that's not a real word, but it's a word that everyone understands completely. And that word is sleepability. And so financial success is when you have sleepability, and that's your ability to, without regard to what's going on in the outside world, to feel completely comfortable with where you are. So when I was single and living in south america and running a school
0: um wait you lived in south america
1: (laughs) yes i i lived in chile in santiago chile and i ran a school and traveled most of the south american continent uh by either bus rail hitchhiking uh a little a little flying in some boat uh to, to to move around but when i was um, 29 and living in South America, running a, a school, uh, financial success meant having enough to basically pay for the the shelter above me, have some extra money to buy some wine and go to go to a restaurant, and that was kind of as far as I thought. And then to have a little bit of money to to, to travel and get around. So financial success changes over time. When I got married and had children, financial success uh, was defined in my sleep ability, being able to know that my children were uh, taken care of, that I was okay, and that I was able to keep working towards my goals. And of course, as you get older, financial success may be what you're able to do for others, like your grandkids or uh, your church or other things that uh, are of interest for you. Uh, It also may, may mean having enough sleepability to know that you have enough money to live the rest of your life. So when people say define financial success, I think about the word sleepability and are you able to go to bed at night and feel comfortable without regard to all the stuff you see on TV and the newspaper and all the chaos and noise you hear around you?
0: Yeah, well, that's wonderful. I think the aspect that it evolves, it's not static, set and done which a lot of the professionals as well as business owners, they craft a document, they set a plan in motion and they forget about it and they just know, oh, I have something, but those needs evolve and uh, it sure. requires thing up to date. And oftentimes they need a professional to guide them through that process.
1: Yeah, the, the one word is journey. Financial success is a journey that is evolving based on who you are and, uh, your, your level of comfort, which which I describe as sleepability.
0: It's like a dance.
1: It it's like a dance.
0: <laughs> Same steps, but applied in different manner for yes. each individual in each scenario. Okay. Um, can you describe a moment, uh, probably when you were still a, an elementary school teacher, or perhaps later, that you realized that financial success and well-being is essential, that it's a worthwhile goal
1: to pursue? Uh, You froze there. So if you could repeat the question so I could hear my apologies.
0: Yes, no worries. So can you describe a moment when you realize that financial success and well-being are essential, that it's worthwhile goals to pursue? You know how in society Some people perceive that money can be evil and uh, worrying about financial well-being is uh, perhaps there's pressure not to sound materialistic or not to pursue those aspects. When did you realize that it's okay to want to be financially successful?
1: That is a very insightful question. And the reason it's insightful is that Money or financial security can be tangible, right? It can, you can have things. It really is a function of what you believe. And the greatest challenge I have in working with people is trying to understand what they think and believe about money. And so... It first dawned on me, let's go back to South America where I was single and carefree and I had enough money to get on a boat or a plane or a train or whatever it was to go to my next destination. I could get a meal, I could get um, a bottle of wine or whatever I wanted, and uh, financial success uh, and stability was kind of dictated upon that. Of course, when I came back to the States and I shifted gears and I changed professions, my perception of that really changed. And all of us have mental models and those mental models have money personalities uh, that are part of that. And we hear those things from our grandparents and from our parents as we were learning language about what money meant to them. And so we start down this path, down this river, down this journey, functioning like that. So for me, it was really in my uh, turning 30, that I started examining what those were, what that meant to me. And until I was able to gain a little bit of insight about myself and my own mental models and my own language about money, I was not really able to be uh, sensitive enough to see what was going on with others to kind of help them examine that. Um, It really starts in the mind. Uh, this whole journey about financial success, uh, starts in the mind and what you, you, uh, are able to, to take from that and, and use that operating system to, uh, uh, attract and grow, grow wealth. Uh, many people make a lot of money in their life and they spend it all, or they give it all away. And as long as they're doing that consciously, that's great for others. Um, they have, uh, tapes going on in their head about money and they hoard money and they save money and they have more money than they can even spend, but they still can't go uh, on a cruise because it, 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 it makes them feel uncomfortable. I kind of look at the world as people have two ways of going right or left and they switch back and forth. And many times they attract partners that are opposite of them or just like them. And those are spenders and savers. And so, everyone kind of is either right handed or left handed. You have a natural inclination. So, if that helps you understand kind of when it developed for me and my process of thinking and growing about how to move forward with it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, what you just pointed out uh, some of us uh, have inherently limiting beliefs that we may have inherited from parents or grandparents. And it There comes a point in time where we need to take a step back and reexamine and see whether those beliefs are still serving us or whether this is something we perhaps need to change. Yes. Excellent. So, um. Throughout your journey, have you encountered any failures that helped you grow uh, personally and financially that you would be willing to share? And if there are any strategies or steps that you used um, or considered, implemented, that uh, perhaps our listeners that are listening and seeing the same troubles in their life, they can use the same strategies and steps?
1: Love that question. Uh, Anyone who has not um, experienced uh, the wheels falling off the bus or roadblocks is really not growing. It's only through uh, when things aren't going perfectly well that you actually get to grow. And that's when you get to examine what you're doing. Uh, we, we know that uh, you know pe- people have a belief one way or the other. They either see the world as impacting them or they see themselves as impacting the world. And so If you see yourself as impacting the world and things are going not the way you expect, you have to recognize that you may have to change some behaviors or do some things uh, differently. I can tell you that one of the behaviors that I chose not to change is I'm a very trusting person. I'm a very open book. And what I discovered as I went along from uh, adolescence to adulthood is the world doesn't necessarily work that way. And so after I had a, a, a series of disappointments, I had to learn to uh, continually be open with people. That's my choice. But at the same time, um, there's a there's an expression, uh, your actions speak so loudly, I can no longer hear what you say. So uh, be very trusting and open uh, with people, but to learn to be a little bit more sage and observing uh, how they see the world. Uh, so if that helps kind of define that and, 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 and what happened. I can tell you I've had many, 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 many things that didn't go well. But the one thing that didn't go well that impacted me for the rest of my life is I didn't become an Eagle Scout. And I made it all the way through life and about half the merit badges. And my parents did something really insightful that I didn't appreciate for years later. If you know anyone who's in Boy Scouts, you know that many times when a boy becomes an Eagle, it's because his family has been very, very, very involved in taking this young adolescent and helping them stay focused on this journey. My parents said, if you wanna be an Eagle Scout, you have to become an Eagle Scout. We can't do it for you. Um, As uh, uh, our friend, Dr. Uh, Anton likes to say, people only invest in that which they uh, help create. And what I helped create was not becoming an eagle. And because of that, that failure to achieve that forever impacted me. And I can say from that point forward, I have made it a point to try to finish these goals that I set. Uh, some uh, I'm still uh, still working on, uh, but many I've been able to achieve. And along the way, some of them have gone uh, less than planned, and that's that's where the growth happens.
0: I love that. I think the idea of finishing what you're starting is essential. I think you're the second person uh, <laughs> from many people that I have met uh, throughout my love that life that emphasize that point. And I think it's essential, especially for younger people that graduating, they love to start something, start a new job, start a new hobby, try it for a month and quit. Right. <laughs> to invest a little time, finish it. So that's that's And and we we can go
1: back to tango. I've been dancing for six years. I said I wanted to learn tango when I came back from South America in 1982. I didn't take it up until 2015, right? It was kind of on the list. And when I started, I had two things happen. About a year and a half after I was dancing, Uh, They said, suggested I do more walking, right? Michael, get out and do more exercise. I went out and promptly walked, tripped on a sidewalk and split my elbow. And as (laughs) you know, when you're having an embrace, if you have a split elbow that's been in a cast, it's sore for a long time. So I had about six months of no dancing. And then right when I was getting going again, uh, COVID came in and kind of took us out for a year and a half of dancing. And I've only recently started in the last few weeks. And so the key is to stay on track and not be dissuaded by those things that try to take you away from it. If you really want to accomplish something, you have to keep re-engaging yourself. And so for me, tango is a lifelong pursuit. So just because I've been blown off course a couple times, I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep uh, going back and going back to where I left off and and continuing continuing again, if that's a good example of of that concept.
0: I like it. We need to find some time um, to take a dance class together. I haven't done too much of Argentine tango, but uh, I revisit it every so often. So I keep forgetting it, but I'm a pretty good follower. So I'm sure I can figure it out. <laughs> well,
1: there's a great community in Tampa with lots of uh, uh, great events going on. And as you know, it's a very open and, and welcoming community Community and people, I'm sure, would be glad to have have you join.
0: Yes. All right. So moving on, uh, diving now a little bit more into what you do, Uh, based on your experience, is there a specific type of financial plan that you would recommend that everyone should have, such as investing in stock or must-have insurance or retirement? plan in place? So not necessarily something specific, but is there an overarching umbrella um, foundation that everyone should have?
1: It's a great question. And let's go to 100,000 feet and let's visualize four clouds. Uh, there are four clouds that help people go where they need to go. And those clouds are uh, Asset management, all those things that you acquire and working through that process regardless of what they are, those tools that are used in risk management, those tools that help protect you and those things that you are acquiring, the legal blueprint that is designed by your attorney, which helps give you a framework of how to uh, title those uh, assets or those risk tools and how to move forward, and then uh, tax strategies or or tax planning, which helps you pull all that together. So those four components of any plan of anything that you're doing need to be present. And then the most important piece of regardless of who someone works with is to make sure that that they're asking the individual, and the individual has to start with themselves, in the self-examination process is what does financial success mean to me? What does money mean to me? What does wealth management mean to me? What does wealth preservation mean to me? What am I trying to accomplish? Because whoever they're working with or whatever they're doing, it's going to be based on the value systems that they're bringing to the plan and the professionals helping them pull that out and then reflecting that through them, through the mirrors that you will of the tax strategies the legal blueprint the risk management uh, concepts and then the uh, asset management concepts so it's not that there's a specific thing it's that there's a multitude of things that in concert have to be orchestrated so the one thing i can tell you since most of the clients that i work with tend to be 45 and older the one thing that tends to blow up their financial plans and their estate plans and their business owner plans and their family plans is the not understanding the magnitude of ultimately what the cost of health care will be in retirement. And we know that the longer you live, the more you utilize health care. And people are grossly mistaken about what those costs are or how to address that. We know that even bacteria resist. And so human nature is to not think about those things that aren't pleasant. And as we're talking about financial success and what it means to you, at least exploring what that may be, I think would be great for any of your listeners. The other thing I would say is find the team that reflects your values. Find your certified financial planner who has a holistic uh, uh, process. Find your uh, legal counsel that will work collaboratively with your planner. Find your tax strategist who will work with this team and build this team around you. Because no one person has all the answers. And many times... It's through the collaboration of looking at all of these things in concert do you get to discover what you're doing. Because remember, the advisors that work around you are not there to tell you what to do. They're too there to inform you, challenge you, help you grow so that you take the ability to move forward with what, what they know explicitly and you may know just ten, tangentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, and it's coming from you and you had so many years of experience, I think more younger inexperienced advisors, perhaps they're just given specific tools that they try to project onto their clients versus taking a step back and saying, let's listen and I'm here to provide an advice, but ultimately the decision is up to you.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a a wonderful point. And I always start with my first meeting, which I call the listening meeting. I always let people know that meeting is for me to take notes, put my ears on and learn as much as I can. Uh, Because the key is it's not about me, it's about them. And so I have to not project myself onto them. I have to kind of step back and learn as much as I can and then try to uh, offer up those pieces that they're ready to start working on. Uh, One of the things that I learned throughout this process that I didn't know as a younger planner is just because I can see pretty quickly in talking to someone what needs to be done, it's of zero value that I see it. What's of value is the relationship between me and the individuals I'm working with and my ability to introduce what I see to them so that they then invest, explore, understand the concept and start integrating it into their behaviors. That's where the the rubber meets the road and the real success takes place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. So speaking about, I know you highlighted the legal and risk aspects um, is there a process or methodology that you determine the appropriate risk or and or asset allocation for your clients for example certain parameters such as age or their life goals or tax status et cetera. because as you know the higher the return perhaps there's a higher risk element associated with it so how do you balance that for your clients
1: Well, let's go back to the word sleepability. Sleepability defines risk tolerance. And what I learned and what I didn't know as a young advisor, and I learned because I made mistakes and I made assumptions about people, is that sleepability has nothing to do with educational level, race, gender, age, geographical location, being a business owner, not being a business owner. I can tell you over and over again, I have had the same profile of an individual where the assets or the age look very similar. And you would think you could take that information and drop it into a program and spit out a formula to give advice. But if you have not understood what the sleepability of an individual is, and they understand what their sleepability is, you really can't move forward. I can't tell you how many times you find people who want to take more risk than they should be taking based on their circumstances. And then you find others who refuse to take any risk, even when risk is appropriate. This goes back to the mental models that are playing in their heads from their grand parents and their parents, pre-language that has everything to do with how they see themselves in the world. People who love gambling may or may not have the wherewithal to do that. If you go to the casino and you take $100 with you and you feel comfortable taking that $100 and putting it in an ashtray and pouring lighter fluid on it and setting it on fire, and that feels okay, you are then probably okay to go to the casino and spend that $100. It's probably inappropriate for you to do that with $1,000, right? And so everyone has a limit of how much risk they can take. You've heard the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That doesn't mean you have three mutual funds that are all the same thing. I I see this over and over. People say, well, I work with three different advisors, and you look at the portfolios, and you realize – Three advisors are basically managing the money the same way, and it turns out as you start asking more questions and gathering facts about what may be suitable or in the best interest of the individuals, you find that it's not matching up. We've got square pegs and round holes. So I always say, let's start with the human being. Let's start with who they are and what they have, what they're trying to accomplish. I'll give you another analogy. If you're trying to drive from Tampa to St. Petersburg and you have two hours, there is absolutely no reason to drive 100 miles an hour. Matter of fact, if you had two hours, you could probably find the long route around and maybe take a scenic trip, right? And get to make a couple stops along the way, right? If you had to go Tampa to St. Pete and you only had the half hour, you're going to have to get on the interstate highway, right? Take a little bit more risk, and go a little faster. So depending on where you're trying to go is one of the parameters besides age, besides how much money you have, that helps you define risk. Does that help answer your question?
0: Yeah, I absolutely love the analogy of, having two hours versus 30 minutes and traveling from point A to point B. I think that illustrates the point very clearly. But in your practice, I know you talk about sleepability. Is there a specific tool or an assessment that you use to measure individuals' um, risk tolerance and sleepability?
1: Yes, there are a variety of tools that we use. One of the tools, uh, brand names, is uh, Riskalize. Uh, There are a few others. There are many good ones, but all of them have the same challenge. And that is people are describing risk when they're not stressed. So this is what sleepability and risk is. Let's go back to March of 2020. You turn on the TV. Which way are the markets going?
0: Very down.
1: (laughs) They're going down. So the question is, if you're listening to this and you can picture yourself sitting there and you went through a week or two of March, was your initial reaction that your gut started tightening up, you felt your shoulders tightening up, your eyes were getting bigger, you were feeling anxious. Matter of fact, remember the story as kids about Chicken Little? Mm-hmm. Chicken Little ran around saying what? The sky is falling. The mm-hmm. sky is falling. And if you were in that moment and that's how you were feeling without regard to what you have. And I had clients who have millions of dollars who felt anxious by those events. I have other clients who had thousands of dollars who did not feel anxious by those events. So your personal reaction to what you see cannot be completely measured from a sample or a quiz that you take. It really requires the meeting of the minds with the professional in an honest dialogue of those times when you've lost and suffered loss, how you reacted to that loss, and how fast, again, to the analogy, you're willing to drive. If you have enough time and you're on the right plan and doing the right things, you may find you don't na- need to take that much risk. You can drive 40 miles an hour, right? and stay in the right-hand lane and be perfectly fine and not have any risk of accidents. So if that helps kind of solidify the tools and what they use, there is no perfect tool. And what I find is after doing this for multiple decades, without regard to how someone has self-identified of how much risk they want to take, the rubber meets the road in crisis. And it's in those dialogue of conversations that we're able to then re-examine risk, and I can say things like, "I'm hearing that you're very anxious right now." so knowing what we have and how we've done that, does this still feel appropriate? Mm-hmm. When the market's going up in the last ten years, the market has generally gone up. It was only last March that people got a real shock uh, to remember this uh, i I remember shocks all the way back through the 80s, and 1987, right? And in the, in the dot bomb, right? And then 2001, and 2008, right? There's many shocks that happen. For many people, particularly those who are 30 or less, they really don't have a, a good memory of what the shock is. So the older you are, the more experience you can have to realize that even when you take a risk tolerance tool, it's not the be all and end all. Does that help?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you um, just to add on a question, did you get any clients calling you around March 2020 wanting to short sell and make more money that way?
1: Uh, n- no, and that has a lot to do with the clients uh, that I that I have. Uh, but I only had really a couple clients who wanted to uh, shift their portfolio uh, to a more conservative nature. And, of course, because of what happened, which you never know in the moment, the market responded to the news that there was a vaccine coming. So things started turning around in the other direction. The other thing that happened is the Fed stepped in and added lots of liquidity to the marketplace. So everyone felt very comfortable going back in and being back in the market because they felt like the Fed was going to continue to add uh, enough funds and liquidity for us to turn around. And as you know, there's still conversations about what they're going to do uh, with tapering or not tapering. And uh, some of the last comments made were they're more concerned about job growth than they are inflation, which is the new topic that. Uh, it's very interesting that it's come up because as you've talked about inflation over my career, there have been times when people are obsessed with it or completely uh, discount it. So humans tend to only be able to see uh, literally about one foot in front of them and about 10 feet behind them. And as humans, we tend to drive in the rearview mirror and not do a real good job looking forward.
0: Yes, precisely. Yes, at that time, I was uh, teaching a finance course, uh, an investment course uh, to undergraduate students, and we were playing a stock market game. So a lot of my students got very excited because they got to invest in Tesla and Zoom and all of these other technologies that skyrocketed um, during the early pandemic and uh, some of them did really well. So they were excited to go in and invest in the real world.
1: (laughs) And and I'm so excited to hear that students were doing that. That's really one of the things that we're kind of missing in our educational processes, our, our basic concepts about money and budgeting and two, how the market works. Because many times people have fears because they don't understand, right? So there are times where it could be appropriate Based on facts and circumstances to do that, but clearly learning how that works in a college setting uh, in, a, in a in a class, I think is fantastic.
0: Yeah, definitely hands-on learning, and some of them have never tried it, even though they were finance majors, one hundred percent finance majors, but they've never been exposed to the any type of practical um, applicability of their skills. So they were they were excited to do that. So are there any uh, certain beliefs or habits or routines that help you and your clients to be well financially or thrive financially, anything that you um, adhere to as your core values or believe or truth that you live by?
1: Well, again, it's a reflection of my mental models. <laughs> it is a reflection of what I've learned. But uh, the the uh, the. The two words that I think are critically important for success in life that you can translate to financial success are deferred gratification. We know from psychological studies, those individuals who are able to defer gratification do better in life in a variety of components and also do better financially. Um, if you have a zero tolerance for deferring any kind of gratification, you are unable to complete the more difficult tasks that require multiple steps and you're unable to accumulate assets because they get consumed. People who are uh, doctors and, and PhDs. And the one thing they all have in common is the ability to defer gratification. Because to get through the rigors of that course of study, of course, being smart is important. But the ability to defer gratification is a number one trait. If you want to find people who've accumulated wealth, Being able to defer gratification and have a greater feeling about uh, the growth of what's happening and the future possibilities of what they could do with the growth of these assets means more to them than actually going. So think about what we see in today's culture and everything we see on TV and everything we know. It's all new, 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 new have, 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 have
0: on, on demand.
1: <laughs> on demand And I think of baby boomers who, because I am one, uh, you know, in the eighties, which was kind of the decade of uh, instant gratification, uh, there used to be bumper stickers that people would gladly put on their car that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Clearly, if a person was putting that bumper sticker on their car, they were identifying themselves as a uh, not only a, 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 a spender, but someone who was trying to accumulate things. And those things were things that gave them instant satisfaction, right? Their toys. As compared to, imagine the, the boomers having a bumper sticker that said, you know, the uh, de- delayed gratification is the way is is the way to success. I mean, I never saw one of those, nor did I see us as a generation pursue life uh, in in that way. And uh, and because of that, there are many uh, uh, boomers who have reached a point where they realize one, they weren't dead at 30, and they lived a lot longer than they thought they would. And now they're going to live longer, and because they did a lot of fun things in their life and spent a lot of money, they may have to throttle back that as they go forward. So the two words are deferred gratification.
0: Yes, I think years back there was a study where they gave cookies to little children. Yes. Made them wait whether they'll get one cookie or two cookies if they wait a little longer. And right. the study found subsequently that that delayed gratification did in fact result in kids who waited to be more successful. However, it's defined by the normal social parameters. So absolutely. Uh, let's see. Next one question on my list. Um So, as you know, we face various choices in our life and delayed gratification is one of them. The other one would be trade-off between the mutually exclusive options. So, based on your professional and personal experience, what are some of the trade-offs a person has to make or delay perhaps their gratification on a road to financial success freedom?
1: Well... (laughs) One of the greatest things a person can discover is that the world is never black and white. Those are points that we get to measure from and that virtually in virtually almost every single circumstance, there is the flip side. It's not always black. It's not always white. Many times it's multiple shades of gray. And we know that from where you're standing and what you believe and think kind of gives you this perception of gray. And so there's never always a choice that does not have trade-offs, right? Uh, Speed and distance, the analogy we used about going to St. Pete, uh, are one of those. You can go slower and take longer, or you can get there uh, quicker and drive faster, right? Both of those decisions are neither right or wrong, and both of them will have consequences that are tangible that you can go from. Uh, 401k plans is probably a, an example that most listeners are most familiar with. Do you put money away, that dollar that week, or do you take that dollar and get um, uh, you know uh, a latte? And, but it's really not a dollar, it's $5 now. Right, it used to be a quarter. It used to be a nickel. So, do you take that ten dollars a week? Do you defer it for a time when you're going to look in the mirror and not feel as uh, robust or as useful as you are, uh, and and uh, maybe have some more wrinkles or some or some gray hair? So, when you're 20 and 30, the most powerful thing that you have is the time value of money. So, do you embrace the time value of money? and take something that you're not going to use for a long time, so it can be worth 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times more. There's not a right or wrong answer. Which path are you going to take? Does that help answer your your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, So you already kind of, as we're going through these questions, described your advisory approach and your process and how it starts with a mindset and a sleep ability uh, to determine what's appropriate for each client. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to, um, to that process of how you take that client journey from discovery through the process of financial planning?
1: Well, I would say that every person listening to this knows a little bit about themselves. And so I would urge them to be curious and get past the gobbledygook of what advisors are saying and try to find an advisor that uh, they feel is listening to them and kind of gets them uh, and is uh, curious enough to try to get them to explore who they are. And then uh, if you're lucky enough to find those individuals who fit, build your team around them and engage in a journey and recognize that um, no one can give you specific advice all the time. Uh, there is no easy button uh, like there is on TV in the journey. Uh, so, so do a little bit of work to explore those uh, individuals who you feel get you and are willing to invest time uh, in you and, uh, and, and, and get them in your boat to take them on the journey with you.
0: Makes sense. And um, what are some of the resources or books that you can recommend um, to people to either read or some of the tools they can get to help them become more financially intelligent and some of the things that they can implement in their life to help them on that journey?
1: Well, there are a number uh, of books out there. I think uh, sometimes books are too big for today's modern world so I would in I would uh, encourage people to turn up their curiosity button and to question whatever they hear on TV or see on the internet as to what something is correct or incorrect as it comes to finance or savings or financial tools uh all of these financial instruments are not good or bad and people will say good things about one strategy and bad things about another strategy and and to be curious enough to understand that that may not necessarily be true or not true. The key is to kind of understand how those tools work and when they're appropriate to fit for them. Remember, there are four components that they have to weigh as they're making these decisions as they're learning. And it's upon them not to be spoon-fed by people, but to engage in this process and learn. And that is asset management. How how do assets work and how, how, are, how are they uh, how do they change over time based on what's going on in the world? Risk management, how do you manage risk? Insurance can be part of a risk management plan, but risk management is not necessarily insurance. Risk management is the greater study of how you um, control or modify or less lessen risk. The same way with legal. Uh, understand all the legal components or tools that you can use, it's just not one thing. In the same way with tax strategies, the tax strategy that works for the works for the person that, you know, I call it the uh, uh, over the fence uh, uh, advice just because that tax strategy is working for them doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. So I would implore them to be curious about how those four things come together, uh, asset management, risk management, legal strategies and tax strategies around who they are and where they want to go, because One size does not fit all.
0: It certainly doesn't. And I think you bring up a good point about uh, finding out and being curious, not just the goods or the bad about certain financial strategy or a certain asset or investment vehicle. You should listen to the both sides of the story and then make up your mind based on what's appropriate for yourself. So Yes. Definitely. Even watching TV these days, certain channels take you to only one direction without ever showing you the other way and the other way around. So I think it's great to be exposed to the holistic point of view, um, regardless what the matter is, and then form your own opinion about it. Excellent. So, um, now I guess the fun question, um, if you could broadcast something on a large billboard, let's say by Emily arena, a couple of words, so perhaps a short slogan, something that can help people more on their finance journey to become more financially free and successful. What would it be?
1: Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, the words are start now. And, uh, I like it. (laughs) The first big word my mom taught me, and it happened to be that I am very good at it. And because I learned this word and became very good at it, it required me to do a lot of growing to change that. And that's procrastination. And uh, procrastination is probably the most dangerous force of human nature that lurks inside of all of us. And procrastination is really driven by those things that are left unsaid that are rolling around in our mind that keep us from taking action. So people describe me a couple ways, but there's two things that are very true about me. One, I'm a connector and two, I'm a catalyst. And I always say, if I show up, something's going to happen. And I had to learn because I was a master procrastinator as a little boy, that uh, uh, particularly about cleaning up my bedroom or doing any of the chores list that my mom would give me, I had to learn to start now, do it now, take action, move forward, make it happen. And uh, so those would be the, the two words, um start now and remember the flip side of start now the other side of that coin that you carry around in your pocket is procrastination so when you pull the coin out of your pocket if everyone can feel that coin in their pocket and they pull it out they get a choice they can procrastinate or they can start now starting now is the best way to uh, have a fun journey
0: yeah absolutely applies to really anything you want to Better health, start now. If you want to have better body, start now. Financial freedom, start now. So it applies to absolutely everything. I, I love it. Um, and so, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or contact you, get more individualized and personalized advice from you and see how you can guide them on their financial journey. How do the, How do people um, can get in touch with you?
1: I I think the best way to get in touch with me, because there's a lot of information about me there, is on LinkedIn. The one thing about me, because uh, there's a lot of Valdezes and there's a lot of Michael. Uh, Michael's on Michael C. Valdez. And uh, so uh, that's the way to kind of find me. And if they find me on LinkedIn, they can get uh, other connections on how to get all of my information. Um, uh, The other way, I would say, is to ask others, because I'm a connector. Uh, and a catalyst. I know lots and lots and lots of people. And uh, it's one of my favorite joys in life is to uh, meet people. And that's because I'm just innately curious about people. And so I would say the other way is to ask around who may know me, and I'm sure they have uh, uh, an email and a phone number uh, uh, to reach me.
0: Excellent. Would that be okay if I put your LinkedIn uh, link to your profile in the show notes? Oh, absolutely!
1: I think that's a that's a great idea, and it's easy for people to find and click on, and and it has all my has all my information there.
0: Perfect. So I will do that uh, for anyone listening. The link to Michael's LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. So, Michael, any last thoughts or comments that you may have?
1: Uh, No, just that. uh, Thank you for inviting me on. It has been a real joy. To talk with you. It's been a, a wonderful uh, time that we've spent together and uh, great for me to remember some of these things uh, that I hadn't thought about uh, uh, in, in a while. Uh, so uh, thank, thank you again for uh, engaging me and getting me to uh, uh, to talk, talk a little bit. Uh, you know, they always say uh, the way to make friends is to get people to talk about themselves because everyone likes that. Uh, I heard that when I was younger. And so I always ask questions of others. I'm not used so much to people asking questions about me. You're
0: the star of the show today. So well, th- lots of well, questions about you. <laughs> well,
1: well, thank you. It's been been a lot of fun. And uh, I, I look forward to, uh, to listening to the rest of your podcast as you uh, inter- interview those people of interest.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, be well and make everything worth your while.